everybody welcome to the 290th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct didn't realize my mic was turned down low this is the first episode i've done in my own home in a little while and uh my settings were all fucked up so here i am talking on my good microphone ready to talk about these games yeah it's it's been um you know, we skipped last Sunday's episode. We had some personal stuff to do, but I, I feel like we're, we're we can finally see the the end of of the, the line with with this 2021-2022 season. It, it feels like it, it's been the longest season I can recall in, in recent memory. Uh, just counting down the games, counting, you know, down like, oh, God, how many more losses do we really need to, you know, accumulate until we can secure a certain spot in, in the draft lottery? And I can only imagine how long it is for people who do this for a living. Like we just kind of are using this for enjoyment. And it's it's not super enjoying until you actually get to the final result. But it has been uh, quite a post all-star break for the Portland Trailblazers just this past week. They somehow managed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder came back winning by three in overtime, 134 to 131. The Pelicans in C.J. McCollum's uh, much-anticipated return to the Rose City uh, snuck by the Blazers. Portland put up a good fight in that one. Uh, 117 to 107 and the San Antonio Spurs, I think a team that has played Portland probably the best of any team so far this year. They swept the season series and every game wasn't even close. I believe every game was at least a double digit victory for the Spurs on Friday. They beat Portland 130 to 111. And on Sunday, they beat Portland 113 to 92, both games without all-star DeJounte Murray and the second one without their big man, Jakob Pertle. The, the, the winless week brings Portland's record to 27 and 51. A couple of notes of significance that happened. Uh, the Blazers were officially eliminated from playoff contention and the Sacramento Kings also picked up a couple of victories over the Houston Rockets, which has Portland in a two-game cushion for the sixth position in the lottery as of this recording. Uh, if the lottery were today, Portland would go in with the sixth best odds and they would potentially get the Pelicans pick at 11. Um, what does that mean? At six, Portland would have a 37% chance at a top four pick and a 9% chance at the number one overall pick. And to be honest, with four games left, it looks like sixth is probably the the optimal spot that the Blazers can achieve. Uh, the Pacers just have not been able to get any more victories. Uh, Indiana Pacers would need to win two of their final three games, and they just lost to the Pistons at home. Uh, so really right now, if you're watching Portland's positioning, uh, just hope for a couple more losses and maybe the Kings pick up one more victory because as long as Portland finishes below the Kings, they will have secured at least the sixth 
uh, best chances at moving up in the NBA draft. And for those that remember 2007, Portland went into that draft lottery with the sixth best odds as well, and they struck triple seven. So it has been kind of a, a good omen, if you would, for the Portland Trailblazers. And especially now that they draw for the top four instead of the, the top three, it kind of opens it up. So anything can happen, but we still have four games uh, left to go on the season. Uh, Sage, what has been your good for the, over the past couple of weeks? Well, I just looked at uh, Indiana's last three games. It's Philly, Philly, and Brooklyn. Obviously, Brooklyn is going to try their hardest in the last game of the year. But do you really think Philly is going to put out their like the best possible lineup in these games? I don't. I don't know where they are in the standings. But if they're solidified in the, for the second game, why would you risk injury of James Harden and JoJo and Tyrese and? They've uh, also been a team that has been really inconsistent of late, even with James Harden. I mean, they, they went to Detroit and lost by, by eight points. Uh, they lost a close one against Milwaukee. Then again, they, they show their dominance in a 30-point victory over the Hornets. Uh, you're seeing some really odd results as of late. Um, teams are kind of sneaking up on, on one another. And if Philly doesn't really get, get their mind right, and, and the result that that's really pinging off in my head is the Warriors, I think, down their big three, went into Miami, the East leading Miami Heat, and they beat the Heat in, mm. in, in South Florida. So anything can happen this time of year. Um, Indiana still is playing Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, but for whatever reason, they just, they, they've been close. Uh, they got down by 31 to the Denver Nuggets, fought back to take a fourth quarter lead. It wasn't meant to be. They played the Boston Celtics incredibly tough um, a week or so ago. And it, again, it just wasn't meant to be. So um, it, it, it'll be interesting. I'm not, I haven't given up complete hope on, on catching the Pacers, but it will really all depend if Portland is able to, lose again to Oklahoma city. And that game was, was pretty uh, back and forth. Uh, yeah. That, that's a, that's that, that's the most important thing, but that was a, a tankathon for the ages, so to speak. And who knows how the thunder are feeling. Um, I'm sure their front office was really excited at the start of the day to see the Detroit Pistons pick up that victory over the Pacers, which would have um, put Oklahoma city into that top uh, three. However, Oklahoma city just, smacked the Phoenix Suns. I know the Suns were down a few players, but it stopped Phoenix from getting their franchise setting uh, victory on the year. And, you know, they put together a, a 21 point victory in Oklahoma city, 117 to 96. And, you know, they'll be playing the, the, the same group. They don't really have anybody else that they can kind of put on the injured reserve. So, you know, we'll see if, if Oklahoma city is, uh, is I mean, motivated. Trey, yeah. Trey Mann and Pokashevsky, they're not tanking. Uh, Trey Mann has been out. He was the, a late scratch. Like Oklahoma That's City, why I haven't been playing attention, bro, because of the DFS. Like, yeah, it, it was he... interesting uh, on Twitter last Monday, right before Portland and Oklahoma City were were about to tip off. People were kind of you know making light of the the injury report and how just incredible, incredibly long it was, and then half hour, an hour before game time. It's like a uh, Trey man has been ruled out like Portland. What's your next move? <laughs> and I looked at the box score today. He did not play, you know, but they, they still have uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. They have Lindy waters. The third um, they have 
Pokashevsky. They have uh, Isaiah Roby. I mean, they've got players that. I mean, uh, and, and they have uh, Theo Maldon, who is yeah. also a, a you know, I believe a second year player mm-hmm. um, right now. So th- they have guys. You know, they're fighting they, for their jobs too. Like, if the Thunder get a top four pick, Poku's rotation spot could get took by Paulo or Jabari or Chet. Like, there's no reason for those guys to chill. Every one of those players that we've mentioned fighting for their jobs. Theo Maladon was supposed to be the backup of the future, and then they took Trey Mann. All of these guys, when they had to prove something to these GMs, so I, I, I don't expect those super-duper tanky teams, those players still are trying to earn that living and earn, you know, earns a living and long-term employment with a single organization. So I don't expect them to to uh, fold under the pressure. But uh, my good for the week has to be the CJ McCollum, like the, the fans' reaction to CJ McCollum coming back to the Moda Center for the uh, the game. Uh, I don't even remember the day, but they played this week. Wednesday, March Wednesday, 30. yes. So they played Wednesday, and uh, the it looked like the entire stadium clapped and stood up and clapped for him. And for someone to put roots in a city that they got drafted is so rare. Shout out to CJ McCollum um, playing some really good ball for New Orleans. But to see how the fans treated him, uh, I think that has to be the the shining good of the week for uh, Rip City. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a player who was, I wouldn't call him the scapegoat, but I would say a lot of people would say that's the first move that needs to be made. Like th- this isn't working. We have to move CJ because you're clearly not going to move Dame. So he heard his name in trade rumors probably since that Pelican series in 2018. So, I mean, maybe even a little bit before that, but at least that's when they really kicked in. And so to constantly have to hear that, you know, you're, you're not certain what the reception is going to be like who's you never know who's going to show up to a game on a given night, especially how fans have been acting uh, during the pandemic, especially it's like they forgot how to act. Um, but for CJ to go back to Portland and it be against a Blazer team that I think the team should be paying the fans to go watch rather than the other way around and to get that type of reception um, it's a little cathartic, I think, for the, myself as a fan's perspective. You know, I saw this on Twitter and it's and it just kind of reminds me like over the past decade plus, Portland really hasn't had that moment to welcome somebody back, um, whether they left on bad terms or whether the, the pandemic hit and you didn't see a player or they got hurt and, and you, it just took too long for them to return. I think, you know, when you look at LaMarcus, he left and left, I think, on bad terms. So there, there was really nothing there for the fans to, you know, there was a lot of animosity. You know, some people were willing to welcome him back with open arms. Others were just kind of like piss off. Uh, you had Brandon Roy, who kind of left on uncertain terms as well. Um, there was a whole contract negotiation. And was he healthy when he signed it? Was he not healthy? Um, just, and he, he just never felt comfortable for whatever reason coming back. I believe he's only been in the building one time since leaving the Blazers. And that was like in 
2013 or 2014 just for one random game. So you just don't have that type of welcome home. And Portland is really known for loving their former trailblazers. Like you put mm, that absolutely. on once you're, you're a trailblazer for life. A trailblazer's legend. And you get someone to not only come back, but come back five, six weeks after being traded. Um, I, I thought it was really nice to see. And yeah, I know CJ appreciates that he's probably going to be spending a lot of time in the Willamette Valley and in you know the Portland Metro area. Um, you know, he got married here. He had a kid here. He started his own business here. He started his career here. So every legitimate roots. Yeah, every major first in his life took place in the city of Roses. So um, it was just great. Like, I think how the the trade was handled, how the reception was handled, um, you know, really well done. And um, I I was glad to see that for sure. It makes me like, of course, I appreciate what he's done for this organization and this team and the fandom and like the high level play. But then you look at what he's doing at a, at, at an older age as a lead playmaker. And it's just like, damn, just imagine if when he developed his skill set and got healthy, if he could have that team to just build his career with, I mean, I'm sure that he loves, I mean, if you read the articles that he's posted, he loved playing with Dame, but, damn, when you think about what he could have, his career could have been, and it was supremely successful, but like being the, the main playmaker on a team, we could be talking about a, a guy that's had some all-star game appearances, not just talked about as an all-star. But I, I am glad that he spent all those years here. And I mean, like the, the time he spent here was very enjoyable. And I'm glad that it came to a, a positive end and the fans appreciate what he's done for this team and city. And I have a couple of goods for the week. Uh, the first one will kick it off with, with Keon Johnson, uh, a rookie out of Tennessee that Portland acquired in the Powell and Covington trade from the Los Angeles Clippers, a player who's finally starting to get some real minutes um, as the season winds down. And one of the big, I think topics of conversation when we first acquired uh, Keon was can he shoot the ball? Like that, that was like one of, of the biggest issues that, that I think was going to determine that the level of success that he would have in, in the NBA. And I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, you're looking at a player over his last five games who is shooting 45% from three on good volume attempts, you know, 33 attempts over those five games. So it's almost seven attempts per night scored in double figures in four of those five games. Um, really doing so in, I would say, not a lot of time, like half the game. He's getting about 25 minutes a night. And he even had a really big shot against the Thunder, down four, just took the ball up the floor, stopped, popped, let it fly, and it cut the lead to one. So you're, you're starting to see what he can become. Clearly, there are things that he needs to work on. But if you would have told me that's what he would be shooting uh, at this stage of his career, I'd be like, yeah, I take that and run because, you know, when we both talked about him in our in our limited time watching him at Tennessee, you know, he's only there for one year. 
you thought this was a very long-term project. And I, I think this summer is going to be critical for him. If he has a really strong summer, you know, I think you're looking at a really nice piece off the bench to, to go in and, and provide, you know, a lot of energy and a lot of defense. And if he can hit the three, I mean, that's going to get you on the floor. I mean, that's really the Nasir little path uh, right there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate swing factor for him is that shot. And I, I, I remember watching some blazer games and thinking, whoa, it went in that that's the most important thing about a three point shot is that it goes in. So, you know, that we, I definitely do have, uh, you know, that narrative that he is not a good shooter, but as, as currently he's performing as a pretty good shooter. So that that's definitely the swing factor for him. I would like to see it in more, uh, more games, but, He's definitely been shooting, and I, I think that what I like the most is that athleticism in transition. We're such a young-ass team that the way that we should be scoring a lot is in transition, and Keon Johnson as an alley-oop uh, recipient. Wow. As the guy that catches the alley-oop. Recipient. <laughs> Thank you. As the guy that catches the lob. I can't imagine how deadly we would be with Nasir on one side, Keon on the other, somebody spotting up from three and Dame with the ball in his hands. That's a lot of, that's a lot of firepower in transition. If Billups sees the potential I do, we need to be pushing, pushing in transition. And I like that Keon has that playmaking, but we knew about the playmaking. So with better spacing, I think they'll shine even brighter. My second good, it's not just for the week, it's since the All-Star break when the Blazers went into the break uh, 10th in the West. Uh, I believe they were just nine games under 500. They had won four straight games, and it was almost like, oh, here we go again. Like the, the another treadmill season in which they, they claw for their playoff lives only to get ousted in, in the first round, you know, unceremoniously. Thankfully, that didn't happen. You know, decisions were made and Portland really committed to getting the best draft pick possible. My only complaint is they didn't realize that a little bit earlier, but it is what it is. Uh, Since the All-Star break, they have the league's worst winning percentage, just at 10.5%. They are league worst 2-17 and Uh, since the all-star break and they they went from picking around uh, 10 or 11 to now solidly in the in the sixth spot and that that's a massive difference when you're talking about a 37 percent chance to get the top four versus an 11 and a half percent chance like you're almost tripling your odds into getting one of those prized prospects which makes a season like this all worth it so uh, kudos to everyone getting on board, finally making the right decision and picking a direction. But just for funsies, Sage, who do you think in the NBA has the second worst winning percentage since the All-Star break? The Los Angeles Lakers. It kind of surprised me. They are 4-16 and 16 since the break, a 20% winning percentage. It's it's comical at this point. I know a lot of Blazer fans, including myself, have kind of been, you know, pushing for Los Angeles to win a couple of games so they can give the Pelicans a scare in the plan. But that, after watching them lose again to the, the Denver Nuggets 
uh, it's it's not in the Spurs picking up two wins against the Blazers. They don't have the tiebreaker against the the Pels or the Spurs. It's it's not going to happen. This is a team that is going to lose their lottery pick to the New Orleans Pelicans, and they are not going to make the play in. I, I just don't see it happening with their schedule. It, it's comical that they have been trying to win. Portland's been trying to lose, and yet they're still so close in the standings. It's, it is one of the biggest, I think, busts or collapses, whatever you want to call it, in league history. You go back and look through that that Twitter, uh, the Twitter feed when you know they got the Russ trade, they signed Mello, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard came back. Everyone's like, "Who's stopping this team?" I was like, "Themselves." Father Time is stopping that team. I'll tell you what. I know of somebody in draft Twitter that in the beginning of the year bet that they wouldn't make the playoffs. And it was like some ridiculously boosted bet, man, <laughs> that, that person has to be feeling very good about that particular uh, futures bet. Now, um, when you were, when you're talking about our tank, two things popped up. One, do you know where we were in tankathon standings at the, uh, at the all-star break, was it like 10, 11? I believe it was 10, 10 or 11. So you're you're going with like, I love Eason, but he's probably a tier three guy. And then because of the tank, we're at six, which you're is probably like a getting tier two. Like, you're probably getting an Eason or the last choice in shooting guards. Mm-hmm. And now you have your own choice. You might have, you're, you might be rocking with your second choice. Cause I don't think Ivy's going to be there at five or, or at six, wherever we are, but you have a selection. You can make your choice about, you know what? I like Griffin's shooting more than Johnny Davis, or I like Johnny Davis's defense more than AJ, or let's go with shade and sharp. There's so much more selection than forced to pick at a given position or take the best big in the draft, the best yeah. center. In, yeah. In oh, yeah. Turn, so. There's so yeah. many more options at six than there is at 10. Question two that popped into my head. If we ran this trash lineup for the entire year, are we the worst team of all time? Are we worse than that uh, Bobcat season with Kemba? I think the worst team, wasn't it like the 72-73 Sixers? I think they had nine wins. We're getting deep on this one. I thought it was the Bobcats. Okay, so they had the worst losing percentage of all time, but because it took place in the lockout shortened season, they were seven and 59. Okay. Okay. So that was 66 games. There's still 16 games to go. The 73 Sixers. So I did, I did pick that, that right. We're nine and 73. So we were technically, I think both correct, whether you want to say the Bobcats would go on to win two games or not. But um, I mean, they're, they're two and 17. Like, are we saying like, no, Josh Hart, no, Justice Winslow, the, the, the team we played today. I guess Josh Hart does affect wins because he, he did he make was, two of them. Yeah. He was the result of one victory alone against the Wizards. I mean, so you take him out. Like, I think if you keep Josh Hart, you're probably winning like 14, 15 games. If Josh really, Hart does a lot. If Josh Hart doesn't play, you're not. You're you're your worst team of all time. It's bad. That that a Josh Hart level player, which we love Josh Hart, but he is not worthy of like. Well, Josh Hart with the ultimate green light too. Like, true. let's not. 
I mean, goodness gracious. We've talked about it a lot. We've constructed potentially one of the worst teams ever in this tank. I remember me quoting, ain't no half step and ain't no such thing as halfway crook. We chose a fucking side and we stuck to it. And you know what? We succeeded in being ultra terrible as a team. So, I mean, like that's process for the Portland Trailblazers because for a long time it was, we could suck or we could be good. So I, I, I think that that's, that that's progress small as it may be, but that's progress. Cause you know, Neil O'Shea would be fighting to the bitter end. Did you have a bad for the week? No one, no Trenton Watford got hurt. So that's my bad. Yeah. Thankfully it, I think he would probably be back if this were a competitive season. <laughs> um, so he really, I think, dodged a, a season ender. I think there's a lot of fear. It may have been, been an ACL or something along those those lines with the knee, the way he landed. So, yeah, I, I think that was uh, definitely a bad for the week, but also a, a good because it turned out to just be, I think, a minor setback. I would say mine is, can we, like, no, no disrespect to, to Ben McLemore. <laughs> his extended playing time when he's fucking nuclear hot. He's 29 years old. He's playing a shit ton of minutes off the bench. He's gunning. I mean, he, there is no if, ands, or buts about it. Like, he is a gunning, especially in the first half. And then all of a sudden, like, he doesn't play as much. And I think everyone kind of understands why. But, you know, the, the game against OKC, he almost got us the, the most unnecessary victory of all time, like 28 points. He put up 18 of his 22 shots from downtown in 32 minutes. I'm like, no, we, we need to lose. Like, so that, that's, that's my bad for the week. Like, these close losses, like, are way too stressful. Like, give me the 20-point losses. Like, we, we know what the assignment is. We're trying to lose. Can we just do it in the least stressful way possible? And Ben McLemore, I mean, just he has the potential just to go super nuclear. And, uh, you know, thankfully it hasn't bit Portland in the ass quite yet, but there's still time. And I, and I hope it, it doesn't happen. Also, selfishly, I want to see Keon get a little bit more playing time. But to be fair, if Ben, you know, to play devil's advocate, if he wasn't playing some of these losses, maybe even more ugly. So I get there has to be some sort of a balance. You have to have a adult on this squad. I, I get it. I mean, so like I, I get it. I, I saw Tara Biggs post that she wants um, Ben McLemore back. What do you think about a potential Ben McLemore re-signing an extension for this team? I considering I think he's just a shooting guard and I don't think you can play him at the three. So let's kind of talk this through. So you have Damian Lillard. You assume you're going to re-sign Anthony Simons. You have Josh Hart, who I think still should be a shooting guard. And I, th- I think he's better at the two gives you size rather than being a slightly undersized three. So you've got three big time guards that are going to take up big time minutes and big time usage. Then you also have your first round pick in Keon Johnson. You're not just going to stunt his development. You probably still need to get some form of a backup point guard uh, that can just distribute, play defense, whether that's Chris Dunn, whether that's somebody pick up in the draft or sign um, on the low. That's five guards just, just right there. And that's not accounting for the four potential draft picks that, that this team has. 
in what I would say is an absolutely stacked shooting guard draft class. Given all of those factors, I, I don't see a, a world in which re-signing Ben McLemore makes a whole lot of sense. And I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense from Ben McLemore's uh, point of view either. I think he needs to go to a team where he can be a direct backup, guaranteed minutes, come off the bench. You're the seventh, eighth man off, off in, in the rotation and you're going to get your shots. I don't think he's going to get his shots here. I, I don't think this is a good situation uh, for him to to come into. So I, I don't th- I don't think it just works for either side. No, I I think that he deserves a rotation plate a rotation spot on a team that's winning. Yeah, because he yeah he's putting up amazing stats, but it's like the most empty stats imaginable. We're actively trying to lose. So I think for him, if he can get more money in more guaranteed playing time and on a competitive roster, let's be real. Somebody that can shoot threes at that level and at that craft deserves to be coached by a guy that can develop good quality shots for him. And he can play 16 minutes guaranteed every night. Could you imagine what he would do for Monty Williams? Like they're just going to add more shooting with Ben Macmore or a coach like, uh, Golden State? I think if you're the Phoenix Suns, would you rather pay a first-round pick for Landry Shamit or sign Ben McLemore for the minimum? I, I looked it up in basketball reference. He played 74% of his time at shooting guard, 19% of his time at small forward. He's mostly a two. Give him a chance for him to succeed. I think that would be better for everybody involved because – uh like, like you said, the space just isn't there as a roster. And then you got to think about like Justice Winslow and all these other players too. So I, I think that he deserves better than what we can give him. Do you have an ugly for the week? The basketball quality sucked, but it but is that's what, what we it, want. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, with what everything we've done, we're trying to suck. <laughs> we're, exceed, we're, we're exceeding that goal. I would. My eyes hurt sometimes watching this awful team play basketball. I would say the only thing that I can think of, and this really comes to light if the Pelicans' pick does not convey, Joe Cronin has some explaining to do because (laughs) CJ McCollum has been exactly what the doctor ordered down in, in the Big Easy. And yes, Josh Hart is a really nice piece, he's a different piece. But if you put them up against one another, CJ McCollum's winning out a hundred times out of a hundred times. He and is Larry a, Nance and Tony Snell. So you give them Larry Nance, who when I when the trade happened, I was like, oh, Larry is probably out for the year, so they're just going to eat that salary. No, he's he's back playing. So not only did you give CJ and Larry Nance, you're also not getting back a reassurance that you're getting a pick this year. They could have easily said, we'll, we'll get the your lottery pick protected one through four. Or we're going to get that 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 Lakers lottery pick if it doesn't um, if if it does hit. I think that's protected eleven through thirty. So if the Lakers miss the playoffs, the Pels get that pick. Doesn't matter if it hits one, two, three, or four. Cronin should have had some assurances, like you get the best of that pick, the worst of those, what whatever. For for Portland to be in a situation where you're giving up the best player, and that pick does not has a chance, it could be twenty twenty five until that pick conveys, and even then it's top four protected um, and you don't get a young player like Trey Murphy, I think Portland got fleeced and it's, it's more and more evident 
that that happens. And so I think that if you're Joe Cronin, like if New Orleans makes the playoffs, like you might need to start like updating your LinkedIn profile and, and something because I, I don't, I can't imagine a world in which Cronin's able to come back um, as a full-time GM. Maybe he is, maybe they, they just love what he was able to do, but I thought he did a fantastic job of finding a scenario for CJ talking to CJ, letting him know this, this could be in the works like a plus there, but you also knew there was interest in new Orleans. So you didn't feel like you were kind of getting like rung, like they, they know they're going to take you behind the woodshed. I just felt like there, there should have been more compensation. So like a lot really rides on whether or not CJ McCollum, the player you traded away is able to take his new team to the playoffs. Like that's, that's tough to handle. So for, for me, that, that was, uh, it's still lingering a bit uh, as we're, I think, you know, six weeks out from, from that trade. I know New Orleans is one of the most pick rich teams in the league. Oklahoma city might be one, but new Orleans is probably two. The Anthony Davis trade still has picks. The Drew holiday trade still has picks. The fact that we couldn't get any of those, like the Pelicans have two picks every year for the next, five years we couldn't get any of them until fuck what was it again 2027 2025 2025 so i'm looking right now on real gm they have a future draft pick tracker which is because i looked at tankathon so i was i was just in the wrong spot yeah it's so helpful i mean it it breaks it they they must pull exactly from the press release like so the pelicans they have the 2022 la first round pick um, they have two second round picks this year from uh, the Kings and the Cavaliers, as well as the Jazz. Um, they also have a, a um, pick swap from next year with the Lakers. So if Lakers suck next year, pick swap. They have the Lakers 2024 first round draft pick. Um, they have the 2024 first round pick swap from Milwaukee. Like it, it would have been nice to be able to add something in that. Um, the 2025 first round pick from Milwaukee. That's the one Portland might get. Um, they also have a 2026 first round pick swap from the Bucks, and they have a 2027 first round pick from the Bucks. So you're right. They have a shit and they have almost all of their own picks. So Joe Cronin, basically it, it, it's like, it's like you're trick-or-treating Sage and, and you go up to a house. It's lit up a bit, but you see the bowl of candies out there and it says, take what you want. He's like, hmm, I'm just going to take two, two candies. That, that's all I want. When it's like, bro, you could have could have taken a, l- a little bit more than that. We are so pick depleted that we're willing to take a potential this year and a for sure in 2025. Like, if you're in New Orleans's shoes, those picks don't mean as much to you as it does to us. The fact that we couldn't get anything else, that that's that's a tough one. Kudos to him for treating CJ like a human. And I think that this industry of sport does an awful job of treating people like people. It's one of the things that I hate most about basketball. But you gotta look out for yourself. Yeah, you can't you can't just hand you can't just hand over a top 50 player and she's like, here you go. CJ top five player of Blazers history, like top 10, like. Where top is 15. he? There's top okay, 15. a top 15. I think he's a top five scorer in Blazers history. So, like, he's a club. legacy top, he's player. Top, he's top 10. He's top 10. 
a legacy player. He is a legacy player. I'll give you that. Borderline retired Jersey guy. Yeah, you're trading a legacy player. Josh Hart's great. It's not that great. Is Josh Hart going to play nine years here, eight years? I, I don't think so. There's a chance that if that New Orleans player ain't going to play nine years here, like it could have been Trey Murphy. It could have been a future first. It could have been the damn seconds because th- there's some good players in this draft. Like it just needed to be more. It needed to be, but it has to be more than just what we got. The best case scenario has to happen for this to trade to be okay. Do you know if you, when you like you ever, you like you go and you eat and you're just like, that was, that was good, but I'm, I'm still hungry. I, that's kind of what I'm like. I'm like, I'm want, you're, you're just left on, you're like, I'm still hungry. Like what? That's all you're serving. If you are a Blazers fan, you legitimately need to root for the Pelicans to lose the Spurs or the uh, Clippers or is it the Minnesota? Minnesota. General? Okay. I mean, yo, this week of not doing any DFS because it's crazy really regressed my basketball knowledge for the week. But I've been going to school, so I'm proud of that. But uh, yeah, like that 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 trade, you needed to get more draft capital from somewhere for something. And like because of that trade, they got the second round pick, but it needed to be more. It just needed to be more. It's a really bad second. It's one of the, I think it's the second worst pick in the draft. It's 51, right? Currently on Tankathon. I mean, Utah is a great team. It's 59 right now. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The pick they got from Nikhil Alexander Walker is 59. God damn. So we were looking at two sides of the same. Yes, we were. Andrew Nemhard does not get me excited. One other ugly, and I think it's something that we have. I think you and I have been aware. Greg Brown's glasses? Boom. Uh, I, I think uh, any any blazer that wears glasses is a after my heart after you know watching Buck Williams play in those growing up. But the blazers landing, and this isn't the end-all be-all, but seeing an outside perspective of where this franchise currently sits, 28th out of 30th in ESPN's future power rankings. Um, if I looked at that and I was like, yeah, that feels about right. And it's Who's worse. Uh, it's a paid subscription. I would assume the Sacramento oh. Kings have to be the uh, 30th, but um, Kevin Pelton basically just said, you know, obviously Damien spoke with uh, Yahoo and he's confident the team can, can take their assets and make a contender next season. And he's like, well, we're not as optimistic uh, he's like Lillard, Nasir, Ant don't look like a contending core. Um, they're uncertain, like we all are about Portland's management after you know a season where everything was turned upside down, and you know nothing's really going to be resolved until they figure out who's going to be the permanent general manager. So um, it just doesn't look super. We great. don't have a first round pick till when? This year. Well, Chicago. Chicago gets the next pick. The next so, non-lottery pick, Chicago goes to Chicago. And so, the, in theory, we can't trade our own first-round pick for correct. a long-ass time. So that that makes it so much worse because we're so lacking in draft capital to not be able to use a first-round pick in order to attain a player. That's a tough. That's a tough ask because let, let's use New Orleans as an example again. 
if they wanted to get CJ McCollum and there was some hardball being played, they could in theory trade away a Milwaukee Bucks pick and make it a, a, a more uh, attractive offer. Like our godfather offer sucks in comparison to Oklahoma City's. It sucks in comparison to a lot of other uh, teams out there. Um, this is just where Portland ranked. Um, and I found this courtesy of, of Blazers Edge. I don't have an ESPN Plus subscription. So uh, ESPN had Portland uh, 27th in player potential, 17th in market, 29th in management. Ooh, that one stings. Only the Sacramento Kings were, were worse. Um third in draft potential. And I think that's because of this year um, and only this year, seventh in money. And again, I think because of money, they freed up this year. But again, if you give big raises to Simons and Nurkic, your books look a lot more hefty uh, than they do at the moment. So uh, yeah, not surprising to see Portland so low in the eyes of others. Um, I just really hope that who's ever running the ship, I don't know who's captaining it right now or who's, you know, navigating uh, these uncertain waters, so to speak, but whoever it is, I just hope they take that that same approach and aren't just blinded by the fact of like, Oh, we have to win with Dame and we're going to, we're going to do it because the, the roster that it. Neil Olshay um, left was horrendous. Uh, no assets, no future assets. And so, you know, at least Joe Cronin for, you know, we can gripe about him for, for certain moves was at least still able to potentially get a lottery pick. And we were able to clear a lot of uh, salary. And it made our, our own so much more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you definitely have a, a if that lottery pick hits for Portland, you're looking at a much different uh, future uh, moving forward. I'm trying to do bad math, but if the, ultimate worst thing happens and the four player four teams that become the the top four aren't the blazers and we get pushed down like we're still doing better than we we did <laughs> at the beginning of the uh all-star break so it, it, it's it's a much more uh like the worst possible scenario imaginable versus what's most likely going to happen in another scenario is it, we did a really good job of taking a lot of L's in a lot of games. So you said you were going to pepper me with some questions. So oh, I've, okay, been, okay, okay. I've been anxiously awaiting. I wish I didn't tell you this question, but I yeah. already forgot it. Bullshit. <laughs> you remember everything I say. <laughs> no. Um, that would be scary, but we're, we're both investors in certain things. If I gave you $10 and told you, you can invest in Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivy and Chet Holmgren, where would the division of capital go with those $10 for the best rate of return? Five for Jabari. I think he's the best player in the draft. I think he's also a relatively safe prospect given his shooting alone. Um, I, I think he's going to be all, all world, all everything. Uh, get him out of that Auburn system where he's playing with some, some real guards and, and you're going to see a, an impact player right off the bat with, with an incredible ceiling. So I, I am fully on the Jabari Smith bandwagon if Portland gets the number one pick. 
Um, so I have $5 left. I'll, I'll put three on Jaden Ivy because I think he's the most explosive player in this draft. Uh, you, you've seen players like Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, John Morant, uh, John Wall early in his career. You have that elite level of, of athleticism and you're able to make things happen. Um, I, I think the jump shot will come around. I don't think he's a pure point guard, but I, I, I think in the right system, he is going to have a, a major impact. Like you have that type of athleticism. Um, it, it buys you a lot of time to figure out the, the other areas of your game, which can help uh, propel your career past that seemingly magical uh, athletic age uh, of 30. And then $2, I, I would go with Chet. Like Chet to me is just like very high risk, high reward. But that would so be the best ROI, right? Possibly. So I, I wouldn't spend a whole lot on there. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty con- conservative when it comes to uh, financial and, and investments and all of that stuff. So I think that fits right in line. So it's just like, you know, I'll place a little bit on chat. Like I don't have a huge hope or hope's the wrong word. I, I'm not sure I believe that he's going to reach that ceiling, but if he does, you want to have a little bit in on, like you don't just want to completely write him off. Uh, I think right away he's going to be a solid defender. And as he bulks up, he's going to turn into a really good defender, potentially elite, um, especially if he is able to um, move move well in the perimeter. Like I already believe in him at the basket one-on-one. Um, I think he's uh, really knowledgeable and he can be even a better defender off the ball and erase a lot of shots. Where I want to see, yeah, help that. Where I want to see him grow, and where I've seen him, that grab and go. You get the board. Okay, you're a seven foot dude running the break. Can you stop from three? Yep. Can you go all the way to the bucket? Finish with authority. Yes. If you're doubled, can you make the right pass? Yes. Like that to me is that. How much of uh, Gonzaga's system and Drew Timmy negatively affected that though? Oh, 100% because you know Mark Few is going to be like, we want to win games, and Chet Holmgren doing that is probably not going to win you games. It's going to get him ready for the NBA, but that's not what Mark Few is is at uh, Spokane to do. He's going to dump the ball into Drew Timmy. He's going to try and get as far into the postseason as he can. Um, but there is also, you know, Portland fans in particular. We took another big guy from Gonzaga, and it didn't work out. Portland doesn't have the best of luck with bigs. Uh, center. I know he's not a center, but seven-foot bigs, Portland doesn't have the best of luck. So I think any fan is, is right to be skeptical that it, it may not work out. Um, so that's kind of where I would do. I'm very certain with Jabari, so 50% would go there. I'm a little bit higher on Ivy than I am Holmgren, but I think they each deserve at least some distribution. Did If I added Paulo to it, would that change anything? Or would so he I get, get 10 bucks to invest in four players? Yeah. Fuck me. Would that change it? I would still give Jabari five. So would it change Chet or uh, Jaden? Well, I have to give Paulo at least a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> But again, I'm not as high on Bancaro as maybe some others. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be able to compete offensively right away. But if, if we're talking about, you know, is he is he Chris Weber or is he Julius Randle or is he Jabari Parker? Like I, I can see each of those scenarios come to fruition. Like there's times when he's a 6'10, 250 pound freight train with the ball in his hands and he just looks nimble and it just it blows you away. There's times when he 
pops out and hits the three. And then there's other times where he's guarded by Brady Manick, who I don't know is going to be a defensive stopper at the next level. <laughs> and he can't get by him. He well, I would been... I would say that the 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 spacing of Duke was atrocious in that game. Yeah, so it was, but it was still Manic, Bancaro, and if you want to even go back to earlier in the season, Leaky Black, a smaller yet more physical defender, gave him fits. So he does for a player who I thought would excel in the isolation when I first saw him in that game at Madison Square Garden against Kentucky. I feel like he's regressed a little bit in those ISO touches. I think he needs being more quicker decisions, uh, kind of like catch, jab, pull up, and just shoot. Uh, sometimes the ball sticks. Oh, so yeah, it definitely does. I am I love those three prospects more than Mancaro. Um, I wouldn't be mad if Portland ended up with him, but I'm, I'd am i only give him, give him a dollar, and I'd probably take a dollar off of Ivy. So I'd have two okay. Ivy, two Holmgren, and one for Bancaro. But, but Jabari Smith, I think, would be – an absolute stud in Portland system. So I would go four for Chet. You're going to hate this. I would go four for Chet, four for Ivy, and then two for uh, uh, Jabari. I, I, I think that if I'm talking about ROI, it means I'm trying to make the most money. I think that he has the safest floor, but I don't think his ceiling is as high as Ivy and and Chet's. So if it, if it was... Talking about like what I'm trying to make back, yeah, I I would bet on the chat and be okay with losing the four dollars on chat, like you you know what I'm saying. So I I think the the ceilings versus the floor argument for those those two bigs is the the main reason I would invest more in chat uh, than Jabari because I I think I think Jabari has Jabari's number one skill is his shooting. I don't think that he his when I first thought, saw him, I was like, Oh, he can fit with anybody. But I think the lack of playmaking, and yes, I know that his guards didn't give him enough opportunities to playmake, but I think his lack of playmaking is a big factor in why I, I, I value Chet because I, I know that he actually can be a playmaker on the floor and can t- contribute. Because when when Jabari sucked against Miami, there wasn't a lot he can do, he provided great defense. But when he was shooting and missing, that I, I feel like that's what's going to happen when he isn't hitting the shots that we're accustomed to him making. But I, I mean, like me saying that, I'd still take him too. Or I, you could argue, you could sway, you could make me change my mind about him going two and going one. You absolutely could. But I think that there's there's some definite issues. Uh, like there's definite issues with every single player in this draft. But I think that the the lack of playmaking is it kind of scares me. So I, I have two more of these investment questions for you because you know what talking about the Blazers losing is is tough. So for shooting guards, I think I have to raise it because of the the amount, or I could just narrow it. So Ivy obviously shouldn't be in this, but AJ Shaden Benedict and Johnny Davis, where would you invest the money in those four? 10 bucks. If I, how much would it change if I gave you 15 or 20? That's too much. Let's keep it the same. I get 10 bucks. I would do $5 Mather and $5 Shade and Sharp. Damn. Okay. Okay. 
So, and I'll, I'll tell you why, like, I, I already think Matherin is a better prospect than Davis and Griffin. So I'm, I'm kind of covered there. I think he's a pretty safe prospect. He needs a lot of work defensively. He got caught that, against the ball Houston. watching at the last second. Yep, the happen. announcers called it. And like, I hope every draft, you know, every team he goes to, they have that on the screen and says, what are you going to do to fix this? Because that is, that is going to determine uh, how well he will be at, at the next. Is that level. his biggest swing factor? Is his defensive effort? He just needs, yeah. D- defensively, he needs to fucking lock in and play like, and play like he can. Like because he, there is a level of smoothness to his game where I'm like, goddamn, just you make it look effortless the way you move out there. Like there's something about that that um really uh resonates with me. And then you want to talk uh, ROI? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, Shaden could make you bankrupt off this off this five dollar investment, but he could yeah, also make you rich. We don't know much about Shaden Sharp. He could be the next Corleone Young. He could be the next Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady. I mean, but fuck it. Like you, you have a chance to, to go big or go home, and you have two lottery picks potentially. So it makes that it makes that risk a little bit more, you know, digestible because you have another chance with, with another pick. And we, we discussed this in our future Friday with, with shade and sharp. You may not get the chance to draft him if he comes out next year. Like who knows? I certainly don't think the blazer front office has the stomach to do another tank like this next year, unless all hell breaks loose. This to me is kind of like the, the one shot to, to do what they can do. If you can get Sharp, who you think, okay, if he has a good season at Kentucky next year, he's going number number two, number three. If he's there at six, just just wait and develop him. Like so, that's where I'm leaning. Like you've got somewhat of a a safer prospect, but then you can really go all in. Um, and I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't mess around with my investments on this one. It'd be 50-50. I like it. I like it. It's it. Mine's different, but it'll kind of the same. I, AJ three. Because I believe in the shot and I believe in the the uh, off ball upside, and I think that there is some dribbling craft that you see in in spurts. But that Duke system's so bad for dribblers. Um, so I give him three. I believe in a lot of stuff that AJ has shown. It's not as as much as some other players, but they don't have to go with a, a top four prospect in Paulo Banchero. So I go three AJ. I go three Benedict Matherin. I go three Shaden Sharp and I go one Johnny Davis. I think Johnny Davis has the lowest, the lowest ceiling out of the four of them. He does. And he, 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 the lack of vertical pop and the burstiness in, in his game. Like I still, like I took him at 11 in her mock draft. So I don't think he's trash. I just think that the other three prospects have better, a better chance of at least making my money back in AJ and, uh, and uh, Benedict, and then Shaden Sharp. I want to get on Bitcoin, you know, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, Shaden Sharp could be Bitcoin or he could be Dogecoin. Those are the two coins that I really know off top. So, yeah, with Johnny Davis, he kind of slumped into the end of his season. Um, it could be the teammates, that Wisconsin team. Is that, that, not, that's a very flawed team. It's not good. I think the other guards, I think Ivy. And Matherin and Sharp probably have the highest likelihood of being like these guys could could lead your team. I don't see that in Johnny Davis. I think he's more of a 
of, of a connector. I think he's a mm-hmm. nice supporting piece where if you've got that, that alpha like Damian Lillard, or you got your nice post like a Jokic and he, I think he can fit nicely. So when you're drafting a player like Johnny Davis, go into that with that expectation. He He's not going to be the number one and number two option, but he could be your third, you know, oh, yeah. him, he could be a starting quality that. shooting guard. Absolutely. I think he's definitely a starting level player and like, if honestly, if he turns out to happen, I was watching top of my mind because I was watching the, the Nuggets and the Laker game. If he has a Will Barton type of career, you, you take that and you run because Will Barton, uh, Doris Burke brought it up, probably plays alongside Nicole Jokic better than any of the other Denver Nugget players. He's had that that connection since like 2015 with, with the Joker. And like if you get a player who understands their role. I mean, you can't leave Will Barton open. That's what makes it, you know, Joker's job so much more easy because teams want to double him. He's going to pop out and kick it to Will. And I think that's, I think Johnny could have a similar career um, as Will Barton. And if that that happens, I think you, I think that's absolutely worth the lottery pick. I think the main, like, you know, and as you're trying to break down prospects, there's definitely shades of Will Barton, but Will Barton's creativity versus Johnny Davis, I think is the main like differentiation. But if you can get Johnny Davis to have a creation upside, like, like will the thrill, that's, that's a huge bonus. Cause I, I just don't, I don't really see that. Cause I didn't say exact type. I said similar career production. Okay. Cause yeah, we'll, have, we'll have the ball in his hands more than you would want Johnny. And my last one is Tari Eason, Jeremy Soshan, and I'm just throwing it in here, Kendall Brown. Do you not give a dollar to Kendall Brown? No, I do not give a single dollar to Kendall okay, Brown. Okay, so what what about Jeremy versus Tari? I'll do six dollars uh Sohan, four dollars Eason. So do you think that there's a major difference in their defensive potential? I mean, Sohan, he just you I think Tari is like more of a bully like he's strong he's NBA ready right now Sohan has that that length that I think you just drool about when you look at like a, an Andre Kirilenko type where like okay you can really go out here and guard one through five like you just know what you're going to do uh, he's able to take up a lot of space with not only his length his intelligence like he knows what he's already making nba reads like if you go back and watch like videos and just just pay attention to him defensively like he's in very high caliber player on that end of the floor i mean i think what's going to uh impact his, his ceiling is can he can they both can both players hit an open jump shot if they can they'll be in the league for 15 years so i believe that they're closer defensive like i think that I, I, I go Tari Eason, but I would say that those two are close defensively. I think Tari Eason's a much better offensive player than uh, than Jeremy has showed. And yes, I get it. Like, you live by the Baylor guards. You die by the Baylor guards. You, you saw that against North Carolina. But I, Eason, throughout the year, has shown, like, 50, uh, I think it's like a 12% better three-point shooting percentage. And I, I think that they're both good passers, but Eason's a better scorer at this at this time, and I think that that differential is why I think Eason. Sohan's is also two full years younger. 
Yeah, that, 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 but that, I mean, they're both young. Yes, but I'm saying like you're looking at Sohan at, at 18, Eason's 20. Like those are pretty big developmental years. So it's not just like that's the finished product. So he's got. No, I mean, neither of them are finished products. At, no. at this stage. But I, 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 I feel that's why I would go six for Eason because I think the offensive, like the, I think the shooting is a legitimate, scary factor for Jeremy as, as of right now. I mean, if you watched earlier Baylor games, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with his jump shot? I think it's improved a lot. The three it looked better when he played for Poland. Oh yeah, I think his or free throw looks Britain, broken. What's that? But yeah, I think his free throw shot looks really broken. But I think the shooting has gotten better throughout the year. So I'll give him that. But I think that it, the shooting factor is it's a legit worry. And I think that Eason has some issues, but he's shot like an average three-point shot in college. Uh, I, I trust Eason's offensive more. And I think they're both elite def- defenders. Like if New York took Sochan, I'd be like, yeah, that's a good, that that's a good one for you because they don't really have that those like elite defenders. On that team, you got to make life easier for RJ somehow. Stop somebody. I I feel I would feel good with my six in Tari and then my four in Jeremy. I think those two both have potential to be in the league for a really long time. But yeah, I believe in Eason's offense more. So let's say, and this is something I was thinking about today, Portland does land the number one overall pick. <clears throat> Realistic. So you're, you're not getting Luca, you're not getting Giannis, you're not getting uh, Nikola Jokic. But let's say a couple of teams stumble and they're looking to they're looking to make a splash. They're looking to move on from from what they previously ha- had worked. So I'm going to give you a few options, and you're going to say I'm I'm either dribbling that, or I'm I'm either passing it or I'm shooting it. You can't mm-hmm. dribble. Like mm-hmm. you you either have to shoot the ball or you got to pass it off. And let's say this all can be made salary cap wise. So I'm not, I haven't done that deep. Yeah, dive. yeah, I know. All right. The Los Angeles Lakers are like, we need, we need, we need, we need some draft capital. Like we need to start over. LeBron's going to leave us in two years for Bronny. You know, we already got our ring. Anthony Davis, number one pick. Is Dame still there? Did, is the, is the Dame current roster is that nothing else has been made. Like this is draft night. You get the number one overall pick. Like this is this is the start of your offseason. If Dame commits, I'd think about it. If he if he's wishy-washy, I'm not trading it. Well, I mean, like Dame has been wanting to win. I don't I don't know if getting a top 15, top 10 player, that's about as good as you're gonna get. Like that, I think that's right up Dame's wheelhouse. So I, I mean, I love Anthony Davis and I hate Anthony Davis. He's injured a fuck ton. Yeah, his Achilles is deteriorating. So can a team of Dame Anthony Davis, well, Anthony Davis, I know him. I've He was my favorite player in 2012. Dame Anthony Davis, Ant, Nurk. And Duke, Josh Hart. Josh Hart. Plus, plus potential um, New Orleans pick, plus potential uh, mid-level exception. Uh, I don't know how else you may, maybe you like, you might have to get crazy to get this to work salary cap. wise. So I'm just saying at least the mid-level exception. It's tough because of my issues with Anthony Davis, but if he has his daddy, yes, I would do it. 
Yeah, I think I would lean towards taking that. Like if if you're thinking about Damian Lillard, his contract expires in 2025. So you really got three years. And I think three years makes sense given his age. He's 32, um, turning 32 this this July. Um, so you've got that 32 to 35 window. Um, I think when you're looking for a player, <clears throat> you need a big for sure. You need someone who's going to be able to play defense, who's going to be able to get you. Do we, do we trade Nurk instantly, right? You would not pair Nurk and AD together because AD doesn't want to play the five. I'm just thinking spacing wise. I don't know how those two would work offensively uh, efficiently. Cause that's tough. Like AD can shoot. But is he I mean, a good enough shooter? AD made it work with Dwight Howard as a starting center. Fair enough, fair enough. But he also had LeBron James. Yeah, but I feel like Dame space is the floor better than LeBron. Yeah, I, I, as long as Dame is the alpha and so in, in, the every, beta. in every offer, Dame is fully committed. So okay. let's we'll do it. Okay, then yes, I would do it for AD. Okay. All right. So I think we we are in agreement there. So the Utah Jazz, but you have or Rudy Gobert, do you pass on both? Do you take both? Now, remember, Rudy Gobert Mitchell loves the ball in his hands, but that they're looking to break up that pair. What do you do? I mean, Don, a, a backcourt of Donovan and Dame, that's pretty nice. And then, But then we have to probably sign and trade Ant because that shit wouldn't work. But those two as a partnership in the backcourt could be really, really devastating. And then, I mean, like a big three of Dame, Donovan, and Yusuf with Josh Hart and Nasir and whoever the Pelicans pick. That's that. That's nice. I would do it. I think I'd pass on both of those players. Really? Rudy Gobert makes too much money for a, a, a center in today's NBA, and I don't know if he's necessarily playable at times in the postseason. And just think about what Chauncey Billups would do. He Like, Rudy Gobert is a drop coverage big. Have Rudy Gobert try and fucking hedge on <laughs> deer and fox or whatever would not be a good. If Donovan Mitchell were, like, three inches taller and could play the small forward, I would absolutely do it. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that he's also not known for his defensive prowess and needs the ball in his hands. It feels like he's might be a souped up version of Anthony in that backcourt with Dame. I, w- I would just like to see something a little bit different. So they, um, they are similar, but I mean, one once Dame retires, Donovan Mitchell would run the show. I, I would do it, but I, I, I think I value the first round pick a little less than you do. Okay. In last, but not least, the Boston Celtics. Jason? They've been... Yes. Okay. Okay. Jason Tatum is on the market. They're looking to break. They're looking to blow it up. Brad Stevens says they can't work. I need. I need. A, I need my big. I'm going to take either Chet or Jabari, and, and you know we're going to move away from Jason Tatum. Okay, I got to Google how old he is. Well, he was drafted in 2017, class of 2016, so 24. Damn, good guess. He is 24. I think Jason Tatum is... Fuck, okay. I'm trying to think of... 
potential upside of shit is obviously higher than Jason Tatum. To, to me, Tatum's an absolute yes, I think. Yeah, I would do it. Even if it's not the perfect fit. What, it's I mean, still I, different I, than what we have. Yeah, and, and as much as I love Jabari. There's no way Jabari dribbles like Jason. Well, what, what are the chances he's a better player than Jason? I mean, so you're, you're getting at least a young player who's still really good right now. Like, you're not just getting, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And Jason played, like, I think that Dame would be a good mentor for him because there has been Jason for the first part of the year when the Celtics were struggling, took some awful shots because Kobe. Yeah. His, his Like, his favorite player was Kobe, so he took some Kobe shots. I think when you have Dame who can tell him, hey, you can't do those, take, can't take those shots. Yeah, I would. I, I, yeah. All right. Last one. And it's a little bit more unreal. I mean, I, these are kind of unrealistic, but this is like a super most unrealistic one. Say Ben Simmons back is, is fucked. He, he can't play. He's not going to play again. The Kyrie relationship gets fractured. Kevin Durant's like, I, I can't do this anymore. I need a fresh start. You have 34-year-old Kevin Durant, but he's still playing at this level. And he's do, do you do you pull... how long is he under contract? Oh, he is under contract. <laughs> he is under contract through the 2026 season. Do it. I would do it. I would do it. I would do it. I don't think anybody in this draft class is as good as as good as Kevin Durant is. I, I yeah. think you take the last three years of Kevin Durant. Like yeah. you're gonna be overpaying he and Dame quite a bit those last two but years you're competing yeah like you're competing you're, for you're really team. really competing like kd and dame together that's fuck the spacing and the dribble creation between those two fuck yeah so i would definitely. that's that's i think that's a an easy yes for, for me so most of the time it, it's yes i mean number one so, picks are fun but it's not all the time <laughs> that they hit so jabari like He's your number one, right? Yes. Where do you think he tops out at? Well, like when, as, we did, when we did our future Friday, I think he... That was a long time ago. <laughs> I still think 99% he's Kevin Garnett with three-point range. 99%. I don't think he's Kevin Durant. I, I know that's the easy... I, I don't see Kevin... No, Kevin no, no, Durant. no, no. That, that's a bad one. Like, I think it's Michael Porter. Michael Porter was the 75th that plays defense. But that's then, still a fucking good. That's a really good player. Yeah, but he oh ain't fucking with Kevin. No, yeah. but that's that's yeah. really damn good. Yeah, I, I don't know. Michael Porter Jr. with defense is a perennial All NBA player. Yeah, because it, it's tough because Jabari hasn't shown the, the other shit. I just know he shoots really well. So and to be fair, like a lot of pros, like going back and watching a lot of prospects, like. There was a lot of things that players developed. Like Bam Adebayo didn't show any of this, right? I mean, it but just, this is—I mean, yeah, definitely. But uh, the 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 playmaking does scare me a little bit. But he is only—he's a pup. I don't. I don't. I can't remember. Like, I'm trying to think of like the last like real player that just came out of and just like is LeBron like the last like surefire guy? I mean AD was pretty close. Luca probably. I, there were a lot of people question. I mean you go back and watch people were skeptical of shit on Luca. I mean 
I said on this very podcast that Kate Cunningham is better than Prospect Luca. So right. maybe I would say Cade just to say fuck it. But Evan Mobley. But I don't think anybody thought Evan Mobley would have this type of impact. Mm, I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's, yeah. Fine. Man, so do you have anything else you want to talk about? I think we... I think we ended on some fun stuff. Um, yeah, I think there's the last thing I would cover is yet again, the Jeremy Grant to Portland trade rumors are, are popping up. You've got Yusuf Nurkic and Josh Hart posting pics of, of the Detroit game, them talking to, to Jeremy Grant. There's, there's rumors that if the pick from New Orleans conveys this year, that they'll use it plus Eric Bledsoe's contract to get that deal done. Obviously, Jeremy Grant wants a massive extension in two years. I believe it was like 24, 25 million annually over four years. Um, I did a little bit of math. If Portland brings back Ant, they bring back Nurk, you're going to have a starting five in two years that's going to accumulate over $100 million in salary cap uh, uh, cost, which is just asinine like you're just begging to be in in the luxury tax and it's not really a great place to be unless a winning chips you're winning championships or b you're in a large market and and can really get players like Otto porter jr to to sign for the for the minimum which the golden state warriors did this year players aren't signing for the minimum to to play in portland because jeremy grant was traded there i i just i said it depends on on what it's what it is for me if it's eric bledsoe and new orleans pick Sure. I, I see. I just don't think Jeremy Grant is good. Like I think trading first round picks, let alone lottery picks for role players. That's what got Portland in this, this mess in the first place. You can't keep giving up these assets that we've been just yearning for, 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 for Jeremy Grant. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, Jeremy Grant, he played on the Denver Nuggets and they went to the Western conference finals and he, he's super great. No, Sadiq Bay stole his spot. Cade Cunningham's already a better player. Like he's the third best player on arguably arguably the worst fucking team in the entire league. And he has had a ton of usage. Like he went there because he wanted to be the man. Yeah. Does he want to be the fourth or fifth guy on an offense? And and that's what it's going to have to be. And you're, you can't pay someone 20 plus million dollars to be the fourth or fifth best player. Like you have to, Sooner or later, this franchise has to understand you have to find value to be to fill out the roster. Like you can't just have like max level players all across the board. This isn't the New York Yankees. This isn't Major League Baseball. The salary cap does exist. You know, if the salary cap didn't exist, sure, go ahead and do it. I, I don't agree with the, the trade, but it would make a little bit more sense. But you're just really kind of doing everything that got you into this position in one in one move like I, I would rather have the cost controlled lottery pick i'd rather roll the dice and see what i can get I, I know what jeremy grant is like he's he's an all right starting power forward small forward in in the nba who with his addition does not make portland a contender and i think ultimately that's the question that has to be answered i don't think it does so if, if you're if you're joe cronin or whoever's running the ship you have to have some self-awareness. I, I know there's some goodwill that people want to you know, do this just for Dame, 
we have to do this also for the franchise. Like you can't just throw away uh, a lottery pick just to especially maybe, since we haven't had one in such yeah, a just time. to maybe lose in the second round. Like it, it to me, it's either like start over or go to the or go to the Western Conference Finals or like there's no in between. Like no more dilly dallying. Like make make a move and let's go. But but Jeremy, you know, we talked about these draft picks. I love the draft. I'll trade it for a true difference maker. Like we talked about some of those difference makers. It's going to take a difference maker of that caliber to actually make this dream uh, a reality. I just, and then I nine years of cost-controlled contract. Yeah, I, I just don't So see would you it. rather have Jeremy Grant or Jalen Duran? Oh, Jalen Duran in the, the nanosecond. I mean, I'm always willing to take players if the cost is super-duper low, but it, it kind of does feel like we're just stepping on the treadmill of mediocrity and then having a prospect like Duran mocked at 11 where the New Orleans would be. I mean, that that's nine years of flexibility and fuck our, our, our books are potentially all right, but once we're adding players in, it's going to be a lot worse. So it, it, it kind of also depends on who's there at 11. Like, I don't want to miss out on somebody I think that is really good for a guy that I am, I, I'm not sure what he wants in his role. And I don't know if we can give him what he wants. Like, he wanted to be in Detroit to be the main guy. Does he want to go back to the fifth option? So there, there's a lot of communication that needs to happen between Jeremy and the rest of the guys, if he's willing to commit and yada, 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 maybe, but that Jalen Dern pick, like if we had, if, if we had Benedict Mathern and Jalen Dern, that's a pretty damn good draft and it's cost controlled. And that's really important when Dame Ant, Yusuf, Josh Hart, are all making legit money. So yeah. for cap flexibility and, you know, team building. I probably wouldn't trade it, but if it's if it's Eric Bledsoe and of in uh, the New Orleans pick, that's that's pretty good value as a trade. Making out anything that happens in the future, that's that's good value. Yeah, I, I just looking at his numbers, he hasn't. Everything's gone down with with even increased Kate. value. Yeah, so I, I mean, Cade's going to take everybody's usage, man. He's better than he's a better prospect than Luca. Shit. I mean, I just didn't even see it last year in Jeremy. Like, I, I think you're looking at a player who, again, like we, we've talked about this on this podcast for eons. Like we've been doing this since 2015. There are certain players that just have certain names that, that people remember. And like, oh yeah, he's, he's good. Right. Because of the, the, the Denver experiment. Robert Covington was that name. Oh yeah. Didn't he first team all defense? Yeah. In 2018. And Covington just kept getting moved and moved and moved. Like he, he was on a good contract and people thought you could plug and play. That was one of the overpays of the century. And I think Jeremy Grant is another one of those names. They remember him. It's like, oh, yeah, he he played really well in that OKC series against us. And then, yeah, he did really well against uh, with the Denver Nuggets and then, you know, got that huge contract. So he he must be good. Like, isn't he getting older, too? He's almost 30 and his numbers are, are declining across the board. Like, I, I, I legitimately just don't think that he raises the ceiling of, of this team. Does he? And and to to go back to Dern, doesn't Dern raise the 
the the ceiling of this team significantly franchise altering center like and i i get it like if if jalen if jalen hits nurkic is gone (laughs) like i get it i get it i mean like in a way wouldn't yusuf only want one draft pick (laughs) if if duran's on the list if you know like yeah, I don't know. I mean, you you look at, at at Grant. He's shooting forty three percent from the field. That's the worst since his last year in Philly in, in twenty seventeen. Um, Thirty five from three, which is the worst since twenty eighteen. Like it, it's slowly going down um, over the course of of his career, and though that's not a trajectory that you want. Like he's regressing for sure. Yeah. Like if you were to say like you get like 2018, 2019 Jeremy Grant where he's like 24, 25, okay, there's some upside you can work with. But like that prospect isn't there anymore. Like it is almost like it is what it is. And it's not everybody is a Damian Lillard or LeBron James or Kevin Durant where as they get older, they seemingly get better. A lot of players, they just hit 30 and it's uh, it's, 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 it's very steep and a visible d- decline. So I, I think. Would you rather um, have Keldon Johnson or Jeremy Grant? Keldon Johnson in a second. Not even. I'm, I'm just looking at Fanduel power forwards. I'm like, there's people cheaper. That, now, now that is a trade I would make. Yeah. I, I would give up the lottery pick for Keldon Johnson. Yeah, I, I mean, like if if they said Keldon or like OG and Anobi or something, OG yeah, Anobi in a heartbeat, like. I'm willing to make the team better. I don't just want to be a shitty for, for, for all time, but you, you have to make a smart trade. It can't just be these, these treadmill players. And I'm not like trying to, to crap on to Jeremy Grant. Like he, he, he's a pretty good player, but he's not, he's not going to change the trajectory of this franchise at the cost at which it would take to acquire him. Mm -hmm. I mean, like age and salary has to factor in and absolutely. Are you always trying to find the, you got to find those cap friendly deals. And like, if you, if you find, if you had Jeremy Grant and all the rest of the players, like, you know how many cheapies you have to hit in order to be a good team. Like those Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado players don't grow on trees and there has to be some scouting. And since our front office is so dysfunctional, are they really going to address it? So I would rather have I would rather build sustainably than try and trade it all. But you know. I also think there's this I don't know oasis that the Western Conference is up for grabs in the future with how maybe down it's been over the past two years, and I think it's a bit of a mirage. Um, if, if you look at teams in, in the Western Conference, Phoenix clearly isn't going anywhere, especially if they bring back DeAndre Ayton. Memphis is only going to continue to get better. Uh, they're going to be a perennial threat. Uh, Luca is only getting better in Dallas. Uh, the war, I, I still believe the Warriors, with a full year of health, are dangerous. Plus, they do have a ton of trade chips with all those draft picks they, they accrued in, whether it's Wiseman, Moody, or Kaminga, if they wanted to go all mm-hmm. in. Um the LA Nuggets, Clippers are getting all of their guys back. Jamal yeah, Murray's the Nuggets coming and back. The Clippers are returning Paul George, Norm Powell, 
uh, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard and, yeah. and then you go to Denver, they're getting Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. And when those when when the Denver Nuggets were fully healthy right after that Aaron Gordon trade, nobody was playing better basketball yeah. than the Denver Nuggets. You've got the Timberwolves, Cat, Anthony Edwards. Those are young players that are going to get better. The Pelicans, if they ever figured out with Zion, but even then, a full season of CJ, Herb, and, and Bi, like that team's going to be Jonas. The Spurs yeah. have a really nice young core with DeJounte, Devin Vassell, uh, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Jakob Pertl, a potential lottery pick. I mean, three picks this year, too. And then you have teams behind you where you've got like the Houston Rockets. They have, you know, Alperin, Shangoon, uh, Christian Wood, Jalen Green. Like if, if they hit, if they get Jabari Smith, they're hitting. They're, they're going to be better than you in a year or two. So th- there isn't this up for grabs Western Conference that the, the door opened. Phoenix was really the only team that was like, oh, shit, this is, this is great. I'm going to, yeah, walk right in. Let's get Chris Paul, and we're good. They're the only team that took advantage of that situation. The situation's that, done. It's over. Yeah. Like, so you, Portland has to really be self-aware of who they are. Like, don't try to make something out of nothing because it's. It, I, I would prefer a sustainable team-building approach. Memphis is is the model. That's that's what I would hit on every like invest in scouts and draft people to build the team cheaply and sustainably. Look at what Atlanta did last year. They had a bunch of cheap players to pair with uh Trey Young and it made magic. They went farther than anybody's uh expected. So I, I yeah, I would I would say that. If we're talking team building, and this isn't 2K where I can sim four years into the future, I would want a responsible build instead of trading our limited assets for for a guy that is either regressing or is about to. And I I know they're looking at that that Phoenix model. I, I just don't think that's how many Chris Pauls are out there. To, to sign yeah if you, if you really want to break down the the phoenix model portland deandre ayton is already better than, than yusuf nurkic he's younger he's more mobile he's more consistent he could finish around the rim uh mikhail bridges is arguably the defensive player of the year i don't think portland has a defensive player of the year candidate especially on on the wing uh, if you want to say devin booker and dame can, can be similar yeah dame's a better player i, I get it and you, and you hit it right. Like Phoenix needed a point guard. That's the best position to need because those players are abundant in today's NBA. Mm-hmm. Portland needs the Mikhail Bridges that they need the, the power forward. The Cam those, Johnsons. Those players are the rare breed. Those are so hard to find. So it's, you're digging for something that is and much more difficult to, be good to find. For Jay Crowder. He wasn't going to a bad team. Yeah. He need, have to, they needed to be, they needed to have Chris Paul signed, sealed and delivered. And then Jay Crowder was like, hey, I see a potential. And we can't get that until we have the everything. And they got Chris Paul on the cheap because his contract was perceived to be a negative. And so, I mean. And when they, they had trade chips in fucking Ricky Rubio and uh, Kelly Oubre. We so don't give, that. Give, give Phoenix credit. They, they made the right moves, but they had an incredible base to begin with. That team was the hottest team in the bubble. Uh, maybe aside from the Portland Trailblazers in in that regular season bubble action before getting Chris Paul, so like they they were ready. I, I just don't see 
Portland having that that baseline ready. Like I think they need a lot of help. So I I just I I know everyone wants to to win with Dame. I'm kind of with Kevin Pelton uh, on this one. I, I I don't particularly see it unless one of those superstars gets moved and we're in position with a number one pick. Like could it happen? Yeah, but I think that's that's the avenue. That's on so many for. what ifs in this scenario. That's the avenue that, that I think is acceptable. Uh, I I don't think Jeremy Grant or Aaron Gordon types of players are are, are going to get it done. Portland's a ways away, and I think it's best if they accept that and try to build, like you said, sustainably hit on your draft picks, your pocketbooks are going to be so much more flexible and you're going to be able to do more things. Okay. So the last regular season week is upon us. The Blazers have four games remaining three away, one home. They have the Oklahoma city thunder on Tuesday, another date with the Pelicans on Thursday that is followed up with a back-to-back against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And then the final game will be a home finale against the Utah Jazz. Uh, before we uh, discuss anything about next week, uh, 538 projects the Blazers to go one and three on the week. Uh, they have Portland finishing at 28 and 54, which would still keep them in sixth position in the lottery. The team they're trying to catch would be the Indiana Pacers. Uh, 538 has the Pacers only winning one of their remaining games so again for portland to just be in a coin flip scenario with the pacers indiana's got to win two portland has got to go winless uh yet again so sage is there anything you're looking at looking forward to might be the wrong sentiment but (laughs) what what are you taking away for you know this has been uh a season to forget are you just ready to to hit the finish line and, and be done with it uh, I think that it would behoove us a lot to lose against Oklahoma City um, for obvious reasons. And th- th- I think, I mean, we're ending the game. New Orleans desperately wants to win. Dallas probably wants to fortify. And then Utah, I mean, it for Dallas and Utah, and I think New Orleans definitely wants to win. I think well, Oklahoma City. It's, it's tough because, yeah, aside from Oklahoma City, I think every team is probably going to want to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas is fighting for uh, the three seed with the Golden State Warriors. They're fighting for home court advantage against the Denver Nuggets. So, you know, they're still solidly looking to, to win. You have the Utah Jazz, who I think they're just going to try to get on the winning track heading into the postseason. They probably no team has slipped in the Western Conference more than Utah. Um, since the all-star break, when you look at where they were, I mean, I know we talked about the Lakers being four and 16, but the Lakers were never more than just a play-in team. Uh, Utah was up there with, with Memphis and Golden State, and they're they're now fighting for Denver for, for fifth and sixth with a slight chance of catching Dallas for fourth. And then you mentioned it, New Orleans, uh, likely not going to catch the Clippers, uh, but one more Pelican loss or one more Clipper win uh, cements the – at least a 9-10 matchup with the Pelicans. Um, so they're still probably still figuring out CJ, still figuring out BI. BI just came back from a, from a hamstring, missed, where he missed a few games. So they're definitely going to be playing. And then you have the Oklahoma City Thunder who uh, destroyed the Suns, but they have a lot of guys on the shelf. So I think that's the that's going to be the one if you're looking at the, the 
the lottery standings that's going to have the most impact. And hopefully, hopefully Indiana beats the 76ers twice. I mean, there's a chance that Philly's just like, screw it. Let's rest JoJo and James. I don't, I, I, I mean, like, I feel like Brooklyn's going to beat their ass. So if maybe they beat the Sixers twice, that'd be great. But I think most likely we're in the same spot. Which I think six, six, I'm feel safe with six, man. There's a legitimate chance that we can move up. Did you have a question for, for me about any of these games before we took our annual pee break? Uh, no, 42% chance of moving up. That's a huge, that's a huge uh, benefit. Do you have anything you want to talk about these games? As we move away from Blazer basketball into playoff basketball, is specifically in the Eastern Conference, who do you think is, is there a favorite out, out East for you right now? I think that there's a bunch of really good teams that are kind of bunching up together, like Miami, uh, Giannis's team, the Bucks. Uh, Boston's playing some really good basketball, Philly, Brooklyn. I mean, like if, if Brooklyn gets into the playoffs, they're obviously isn't a guarantee. No, 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 no. But if they get in, they're a threat. So that like, the East is really good this year. I'm sure. Did I mention the heat? Like that's, that's a lot of good teams. So I don't know if there's a favorite. I might just go the bucks because of the, them being the champs. And no one knocking them off yet, but I'm I'm just ready to watch good basketball in the NBA. It's been it's been a long time. So, does anybody give Phoenix a run for their money in the West? It feels like it's I mean, 62 wins with in counting. I mean, the, statistically, teams that have the best record in the regular season tend to do fantastic in, in the postseason. I am having a hard time seeing anyone giving them a run for their money, even if, even if Kawhi comes back, I mean, that's over a year off and that has yeah, a year off and not playing competitive basketball for such a long time. I mean, he's, he's fantastic, but it's going to take him a while to get adjusted. And like the team has developed so much with the current players and their current roles. Are you really going to change it? So Reggie Jackson's now the third guy instead of the second or the first low. Um, I, I think the sun's, as long as Chris Paul stays healthy and not and healthy, no COVID, I would I would bet on them to be the the team out west. Yeah, I think Memphis will be an interesting team to watch the first year. They're just so young though. And that may play into their benefit. I mean, they, they were the underdogs last year against Utah, stole game one, but it was really felt like it was Ja Morant and everyone else. Everyone else has stepped up this year, especially in Jaws' absence. So it'll be interesting to see, especially with uh, Dylan Brooks returning from injury. He's kind of their their heartbeat, so to speak. Do you uh, think they, Dylan Brooks helps that team? To yeah. be completely honest, because yeah, I think he he negatively affects them. He gives them that he's their attitude. Like I think the the, the team he, thrives. His attitude might be the reason why he negatively affects them. He takes so many fucking shots. That should go to John ja Morant. He well, thinks hasn't he even played with Ja this season. It seemed like as soon as he came back, that early in that, the season those two played together. I mean, that's a long, that's an that's a long time ago. I know, but long, especially talking about how long this Blazer season has been. Yeah, they're a completely different team now. Um, 
I think they're better with him than without, personally. Uh, the team I think to watch out for in the Western Conference, given their size in, along the, the one through three, is the Dallas Mavericks. I, I think this is the year that Luka gets out of the first round, and anytime you're going up against a team who has the best player in the series, watch out. Like I, I think Dallas is is going to give if they get the Phoenix and Dallas in the second round, that could go seven. What Luca was doing to Giannis today, that's 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 no joke. Like he's he's getting out of the first round this year. Jesus right, fucking Christ. One second. Sorry. I was I ran a query between minutes Dylan Brooks and John Morant have been on the floor together. Damn, Dylan Brooks is fucking he, he he handles the ball so fucking much. He it's like Damian Lillard and John Morant in terms of usage. That's why I think that the, him being on the floor might be a little bit uh difficult. Like, Go Ducks, baby. I get it. And I like his name. It's spelled exactly like mine. I think his, his ego might be the biggest uh, negative to that team. I mean, he'll And it, it might be one year too early for him. It might be next year that they just they knock on the door this year and then they break it down or kick in the door, waving the 4-4. I mean, if Dylan Brooks doesn't start at the two, who's your starting two guard if you're Memphis, though? Desmond Bain. And then oh, shit, I forgot about me. Yeah, he's he's pretty fucking good. Okay, yeah, as long as you get give start Bane, uh, I think that's fine. But yeah, Brooks may think he's better than a backup. And I think you want to start um, Zaire Williams. Mm-hmm. I, I would go De- uh, Ja, Des, and uh, Zaire. Yeah, I, I would too. I think Brooks is a, if he will accept that, I would love him off the bench. Yeah. 29% usage rate. God damn, Dylan. Anyway. Yeah, because like in daily fantasy, like if Dylan Brooks and John Moran on the floor, I'm I'm not like I've I I pushed down uh, Jaws uh, totals because dude's gonna take Dylan's gonna jack sh- shit up. So that's just a, but yeah, I mean they have a damn good team. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's I think it's Chris Paul's year. And then the East, like they're gonna have to battle each other. So they might be. I think we get a rematch, but I I think I I think that's. I still like the Bucks. I mean, it's a much more difficult uh, avenue for them. So maybe maybe Chris Paul being fully healthy and God that if he stays that that that's a huge factor. All right, uh, have we have we talked about everything that we want to talk about? Indeed. All right. Another long, girthy episode for all the Holy Backboard fans. Um, this future Friday, we're going to be talking about some G-Leaguers, so I'm pretty excited about um, watching them and seeing what it's what it's like to play uh, as the G-League Ignite team this year. Last year with Jalen Green and Kuminga, they had Jared Jack and uh, Bobby Brown running points, so the offense was very... It looked good. Now it's it's the young kids running point, and uh, hopefully we we uh, we pick a game with Scooter Henderson running point. So 
Thank you so much for uh, listening, and we'll be back Friday. All right, bud. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!